Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 29, and uh, Pastor Knuth will preach from it also. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters, and God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf, and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Thus far, the word of the Lord. Lord, you've helped us to be ready now to hear your word. We need you now too, though, to hear with our hearts. Give Robert your words so that we go away changed by your spirit. Thank you for his life of preparation, even beyond his study this week. Continue to give us assurance of your presence in this place as we consider your truth in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Good morning. morning. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning, Christ Church Grand Rapids. Like Dick mentioned, like Cooney said, my name is Robert Knuth. Uh, I minister in Ann Arbor, Michigan to a bunch of college students at the University of Michigan. Go blue, Uh, I gotta say that. And uh, you might be wondering, what is RUF? I would be happy to talk to you more about RUF after our service this morning. Uh, RUF really briefly is our denomination's campus ministry. It stands for Reformed University Fellowship. We're on over 178 campuses across the world. Uh, we are the only one in Michigan, so would love to talk to you more. You didn't come to hear um, from about RUF. You didn't come to hear about my life. You came to hear from the word of the Lord. And so without further ado, let's, um, I was going to say, let's dive into our text, <laughs> but Dick already read that. Um, so you might be wondering why Psalm 29. A few summers ago, our senior pastor at uh, Christ Church Ann Arbor, where my family attends, approached me and, and said, hey, we're going to do a psalm series. I would really like you to, to preach a few. I was like, sure. Uh, he said, do you have any idea where you would want to start? And I immediately blurted out Psalm 29, uh, which is kind of weird because if you know anything about the psalms, Psalm 29 is not uh, a famous psalm, you could, you could say. Um, 
You, you could even make the case that the two Psalms kind of sandwiching it, Psalm 28 and Psalm 30, are perhaps even more well-known. And this is King David, right? King David uh, is known to have written even more famous Psalms like Psalm 23, Psalm 51. And so why do we need to hear from Psalm 29 this morning? Very simply, it puts forward this, this not-so-radical idea that a voice carries with it a lot of power and has the ability to show us glory. Listen to how New York Times best-selling author Glennon Doyle describes the voice she heard that ultimately led her to leave her husband to marry another woman. She writes, quote, uh, My first thought is that those words, there she is, must have come from on high. Now I know they came from within. In that room, I finally heard the voice of the girl I was before the world told me who to be. I finally heard my own voice. After I sensed myself rise up inside me and rattle the bars of my cages, I didn't want to abandon myself again. But I was so afraid. The question for me became, will I choose the world's no or my own yes? Will I abandon myself or will I abandon the world's expectations of me? Will I continue to be a good girl or will I fight to be a free woman? End quote. This is a, a heartbreaking account on so many levels. And there's a lot that I think could be biblically responded to with this quote, but I read to you this quote from one of her newer books, Untamed. This is one of our cultural prophets. Because I want you to catch that, according to her, there are two voices competing, right? One against the other, her voice and the voice of the world, and it's like this, this battle. Her voice, good. Voice of the world, bad. Kind, kind of fundamentalist, right? Psalm 29, though, offers a, a third voice. A third voice to this battle that wages within our hearts. The voice that Doyle wrongfully conflates with her own. This third voice is none other than the voice of the Lord. right? The voice of the God who created heaven and earth. And so this morning, I want us to listen to this voice as we dig into his word. My first goal is for us to see that the voice of the Lord inherently calls us to worship. That's why you're here this morning. It's what we do as humans, right? We ascribe worth to things or to people that we believe are worthy of our devotion. We ascribe worth to things that are lovely, that are beautiful. That's true whether or not you're a Christian this morning. When God speaks, whether that be in creation or in his word, we, no matter who we are, we respond and we worship. I live in Ann Arbor. There are 110,000 people in the fall that like to go and worship at the big house. And that's not inherently a bad thing. Michigan football is great, but when, right, it becomes an ultimate thing, that's where things become problematic. All right, secondly, if first thing, right, God calls us to worship with his voice. Secondly, and perhaps more to the point, God's voice has the power to bring us alive. It is God's voice in the gospel of Jesus Christ that first allows to hear him as, uh, as father, right? But then it's his voice that allows us to be transformed from orphans into sons and daughters. Lastly, my goal 
that we see that the voice of the Lord is our everlasting hope, is the voice that will forever sit enthroned and have dominion over this confused and wayward world, is the voice that will one day forever push out the lies of our hearts. We will one day hear his voice without the impediment of sin. And so those are my three points this morning. God's voice leads us to worship. God's voice has the power to change us, and God's voice is our eternal hope. I'm going to repeat this one more time. God's voice has the, brings us to worship. It has the power to change us, and it's our eternal hope. First point, God's voice leads us to worship. One of the first things we notice about the psalm is that in verses 1 and 2, David writes in the imperative three separate times to ascribe to the Lord or, or to give to the Lord. Verse 1 details specifically that we are to give to the Lord two things. you catch it? We are to give to the Lord glory and strength. So you may be like me when I first read the psalm, and you might not think too much of it, right? It's one of those religious-y things you're supposed to do, give to the Lord, glory and strength. But step back with me for a second. Like, why would David ask us to give to God glory and strength? It kind of seems foolish upon first blush that we would be asked to give God anything. Like, I'll I'll never forget the age of six or seven. My grandma, who um, I grew up in Virginia, she lived in West Virginia. She would come and see us. And um, I was really excited to see her this Christmas. And so I made a card and I put five dollars in it. <laughs> Christmas morning, she opens up my card and five dollars. What's grandma gonna do with five dollars? She's retired. She's gonna maybe get her nails done or something, right? A lot of you guys are laughing because the reality is, my grandmother, she, she didn't need a five-dollar bill from me. <laughs> in fact, right, like it is laughable that I would think at age six or seven that like $5 would affect her at all. And I think in the same way, what we do as created beings, like what what do we have to, to give to God the creator? All that we are, all that we have, our time, our money, our attention, it's all already his. We cannot give him anything that he somehow needs transcendent. Yet David commands us to give to God, as verse 2 says, the glory due his name. Implied in this command is, is a doctrine that undergirds not just this psalm, but the entire corpus of scripture. It's this idea that human beings are creatures filled with glory. As Moses famously penned in, in Genesis 1:27, so God created man in his own Im- image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Right? We are glorious because we are made in the image of the glorious one. And unlike the glory that fills the Rocky Mountains, Lake Michigan, the Grand Canyon, the glory found in human beings is eternal. This is what makes you glorious over and above your cat or dog at home as glorious as they are, right? Like, human beings are made very good. Commenting on the eternal nature of human beings, C.S. Lewis writes, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person that you can talk to may one day be a creature which, 
If you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Lewis is communicating two things. One, this, this biblical idea that there exist eternal glory in human beings. Right? And two, but, but this glory is veiled somehow. We, we can't see people as they actually are. Because if we did, we might confuse them with, with God himself. We might be tempted to worship other human beings as if they were God. So, so when Psalm 29 verse 2 calls us to give to the Lord the glory due his name, it's commanding us to offer back unto the Lord not just all that we have, not just a $5 bill for grandma, not just our time and money, but it's calling us to offer back unto the Lord all that we are. It's calling us to offer him our hearts, our desires, our dreams, our aspirations, our identities, our titles, our privileges, our health, our lives, our glory. The end of verse 2 attaches a word to what all this giving to the Lord is called. Worship. We are to worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Translation, we are to offer up to God all that we are in the splendor of what it means to be human. We are to offer up to God all that we are in the splendor of what it means to be set apart, in the splendor of what it means to be sacred. I mentioned this before, but in the splendor of which God didn't just kind of call us good like the rest of the world, but he looked upon humans in Genesis 1.31 and he said, you are very good. There's a certain distinction. There's a certain sacredness or holiness that human beings enjoy from the rest of creation. Let us offer to him all that we are in the splendor of that reality. But first, in order to worship him as we ought, we have to hear from his voice how we are to worship him. This is one of the things I love about the Presbyterian and Reformed tradition is that everything we do on a Sunday morning in corporate worship is taken directly from his word. It's called the regulative principle, right? And if we don't know how to worship him from, from scripture, right, we're clueless how to give God glory and strength. We kind of tend to make things up otherwise, right? God's voice doesn't just lead us to worship. It also directs us in our worship and ultimately has the power to change us as we worship. One of the most important things you could ever do is just show up to church on Sunday morning because God's voice has the power to change us very ordinarily as you are here this morning sitting in the pew. And so that's my second point is is God's voice has the power to change us. If you look back at verses 3 through 9, the phrase, the voice of the Lord, is mentioned. You count how many times it's mentioned? I'm going to make you look at your Bibles. It's mentioned seven times. That's seven times in six verses. So you definitely don't need to know Hebrew to pick up on the fact that, like, this is a repetitive theme. In Hebrew 101, or Hebrew 101, says anytime like a phrase is mentioned over and over again or just a word like when i was in high school i remember writing a paper and uh, i kept using the word impact 
you know, this has an impact on this, and my teacher says, that's a terrible word, and also, please choose a new one. Because, right, in English, to be repetitive, or to, to be repetitive, <clears throat> it, it isn't kind of looked favorably upon, right? You need to showcase your vocabulary. Well, in Hebrew, it's the opposite. In Hebrew, you drive home a theme, you drive home a message by using the same word or phrase over and over again. And so tomorrow morning, if you're reading your Bible, and you're kind of zoning out, thinking about your day, trying to wake up to your coffee, it's almost like David is saying, as we're reading Psalm 29, if you were to zone out with anything I were to say right now, pay attention to this. I want your attention. The voice of the Lord. And so let's take a strong hint from David this morning. Let's zero in on this phrase, the voice of the Lord. Let's ask questions like, well, what is it? A lot of confusion. Glennon Doyle is a cultural prophet because people, we don't know what the voice of the Lord is. What is the voice of the Lord? What does it do? Why is it important? Right from the get-go in verse 3, we are given this picture that the voice of the Lord is over the waters. It's somewhat confusing, right? It's a, it's a somewhat confusing statement, unless you're familiar with how the ancients felt about water. For David, writing this psalm uh, roughly a thousand years before the birth of Jesus, right, the water was this source of unknown unpredictability. Overall, just a bunch of fear when it came to the water, especially an open surface like Lake Michigan. There's no weather app. There were no motorized boats. Nobody knew how deep the water was. There aren't those cool little fish apps, right, where you see where things are. No one knew what was going on in the water. And not to mention very few people knew how to swim. Right, so, so that context is important because for David to write, the voice of the Lord is over the waters, in verse 3, it's a bold statement. It's a bold statement of both omniscience and om omnipotence, right? The voice of the Lord is in and of itself power. It's power. And just to give you an illustration of this, right? Jesus, as the living, breathing voice of the Lord, John calls him the Logos in John 1. He's the voice of the Lord as a person, right? He proves just how powerful his voice is when in Mark 4.39, he uses his voice to utter to the sea, peace, be still, and the wind ceased, and there was great calm. Right? There were no gimmicks or tricks. He didn't stand up there kind of doing a dance. He didn't need to like spend large sums of time or exhaust a ton of energy. God in the person of Jesus Christ spoke. He used his words. I think the best modern day example I could think of um, without getting too controversial, right, is Twitter and uh, former President Trump's use of Twitter back in the day, and regardless of how you feel about the president or the former president, right? Um, it's a pretty impressive feet of power to send out a 160-character tweet and to get a, a widespread response from the American public, whether that be on the right or the left. 
right? It's an act of power that every president has used, whether you agree with the president or not, right? In a way, like, that's just what the voice of the Lord is if, if we were to define it, right? However, it's not just an act of power, but it is power. It's where all, like, power is derived from. If you look back at Genesis 1, we read it this morning as our call to worship, right? The very world begins with the voice of God. Genesis 1, 2, and 3 recount that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said that there be light, and there was light. The God of the Bible is so powerful, he is so mighty, that all he has to do is open his mouth and speak with his voice to create the heavens and the earth. Like, forgive me for stating the obvious, who is like the Lord our God? Surely not the idols we make with our hands. Psalm 115, 2 through 4, they, they say this. They say, why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. Eyes but do not see. What an image that is. Gods that are so futile and powerless that they have mouths, but they don't speak. It's not enough that their voice is, is powerless, but they have so little power over the affairs of the world that they don't even have a voice. They cannot speak. They're mute. They're dumb. The comfort you crave at the end of a long day, right? the next purchase you make on Amazon, the political candidate you either love or hate that illicit website you like to visit when no one's around. Sports on ESPN. A lot of Game 7 hockey's going on. None of these things have a voice with the power to make you come alive. And here's the thing. If you're a Christian today, I have a, I have a good feeling that deep down, you already know that. For me to stand up here and kind of effectively tell you, well, just stop it. Stop liking these things so much. Ugh! And be like the angry guy who pounds the pulpit. Right? It's going to be as effective for your sanctification as, as like my efforts to tell my son to use his inside voice in the house. <laughs> so it's just not going to happen. What you need, what I need... Is to, know, is to know not just what the voice of the Lord is, you know, giving you like kind of the Sunday school answer, but we need to know why it's important. We need to know why it's full of majesty, as verse 4 says. And here's why. It's in the Bible. We have the written and recorded voice of the Lord. Charles Spurgeon, he's a famous 19th century Baptist preacher in London. He writes that, quote, it's majesty, referring to the Bible, it's majesty is apparent both in its style, its matter, and its power over the human mind. Blessed be God, it is the majesty of mercy, wielding a silver scepter of such majesty, the word of our salvation is full to overflowing. 
majesty of mercy. Isn't that beautiful? I'm going to take Spurgeon a level deeper, which might be bold for a 30-year-old preacher. Um, The words of the Bible are so majestic. They're so divine because they ultimately bear witness to the most majestic and divine person the world has ever seen. Jesus Christ used his voice. He used his power not to shame you for worshiping dumb idols. He didn't just yell, stop it. But he used his voice to call you out of the grave. Just like when he cried out with a loud voice and raised Lazarus from the grave in John eleven forty three, 43, he cries out today with his voice once again right now to penetrate into the depths of your heart and to bring you back to life. That's true if you're a Christian or not. It's true if you've heard this for a thousand times or this is the first time. And verses 5 through 9 are an indication, though. New life begins first with his voice breaking the stout cedars of your heart and flashing forth flames of fire into the cold, dark crevices of your nature. There's a type of death that occurs. And it's it's, it's painful. I don't want to sound hunky-dory about it. It 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 hurts. It stinks. Listen to how 17th century theologian Joseph Carl described the process. Um, He translates verse 9 a little bit differently. Um, He translates it by saying, the voice of the Lord makes the oaks to shake and strips the forest bare. And so commenting on verse 9, this is what he writes. He says, it is a picture of the Lord opening, quote, the hearts of men which are as thick-set and full-grown with vanity, pride, hypocrisy, self-love, and self-sufficiency, as also with wantonness and sensuality, as any forest is overgrown with thickets and of trees and bushes which deny all passage through it till cleared away with burning or cutting up. Such an opening, such a discovery does the Lord make in the forest of men's hearts by the sword and fire, that is, by the word and spirit of the gospel. And when this is done, the, the force becomes a temple, end quote. He's essentially saying what happens in your heart, Christian believer, what happens in my heart is what happened when we moved to Ann Arbor, and I look out in my backyard, and half our backyard is like this overgrown brush, and it's got five groundhog holes back there. And we can't enjoy or use our backyard for anything until the the brush is cleared away and the groundhog holes are filled in and there's grass sod laid and my kids can actually run around and, and do something in our backyard. If you're a Christian this morning, rejoice with me that like God is in the business of making the overgrown brush of your heart into a temple made to worship him rightly. He is turning your heart into a temple that would forever cry out glory. Your heart would cry out glory as you sit at work on Monday morning. Your heart would cry out glory as you change a diaper on Thursday afternoon. Your heart would cry out glory as you sit to enjoy a good meal. Your heart would cry out glory when your friend is going through a a, a trial. He's turning your heart into a temple that would actually 
Give him the glory due to his name. And the more this happens, the more you live as you're supposed to live, the more you feel the way you're supposed to feel. Yes, I just talked about your emotions. I have Presbyterian church. They're great. The more you laugh, love, weep, eat, drink, work, play, and the hope the way you're created as a glorious creature made in the image of God Almighty. People have got, like, this is the purpose of the Christian life. It's not just to show up to church. There's so much there for you, so much more for you. We're here to worship God and be made more alive as we do it. But let's get real, though. You don't always have this perspective, do you? Sometimes corporate worship is a drag. You might be here this morning and you feel like you were forced here. If you're a kid, maybe mom and dad dragged you out of bed. Maybe you're, you love Jesus and this is just not the morning. Okay, preacher, just, just stop. Sometimes you feel really distant from God. Sometimes you wonder if you're even a Christian. For some of you, like, I know I already said, that might be this very moment. And if this is you or if this has been you in the past, my final point is for you. The voice of God is our eternal hope. God's voice is our eternal hope. And here's what I mean. I, I mentioned Mark 4 already, but there's this amazing picture right before Jesus stands up and he, he says to the raging wind and see, peace, be still. Before, there's this, there, there's this amazing picture of Jesus asleep on a cushion. And I, I, lo- I love this little detail for lots of reasons, but one of them is the incredible eyewitness testimony If you ever doubt the Bible's authority or that it's from eyewitnesses itself, go read Mark 4. It's amazing. Secondly, I I love this picture that you have a bunch of fishermen who have been out on the sea their entire life. They've seen a storm or two, and they are freaking out. And you have the Son of Man who spoke creation into being asleep on cushion. And so just as Jesus was asleep on this cushion in Mark 4, as the wind roared and the sea raged, God in Jesus Christ right now, right now, as your life is chaos, kids are going crazy, work is nuts, God right now in the person of Jesus Christ has taken a seat on the throne of heaven forever, having defeated the floodwaters of sin, death, and all the power of the devil. When he hung out on a Roman cross for hours naked and scourged, he did so with one thing in mind. Hebrews 12.2 says that he endured the cross, this cross for the joy set before him. And one of the things I love to do with my students is, is I like to ask them, well, what is Jesus' joy? You. If you are in Christ this morning, you are his joy. Friends, this is, this is the gospel. The gospel and the good news with it says that if you believe Jesus hung out on a cross for you, then you are his joy. He sits enthroned as king forever, reigning on your behalf. So here's what this means, brothers and sisters. This means that he's forever for you. 
Because we have been adopted into the royal family of God through his blood, then as Romans 8, 38, and 39 famously declare, nothing keeps us from him. Nothing. I know, I'm in Grand Rapids, I'm in like the Bible Belt of Michigan, I've been told, right? You guys have probably heard those verses a ton. But do you actually believe them? That nothing keeps you from him. Not the floodwaters of being a mom with young children. Not the floodwaters of like high school social anxiety. Not the floodwaters of your marital problems. Not even the floodwaters of of disease or sickness. COVID-19. Nothing stands in the way of King Jesus' rule and reign. And please hear me on this last one. Especially not you, and especially not the weight of your sin. That has been nailed to a cross 2,000 years ago. Your guilt is over. Shame is done, and your condemnation is no more. Instead, his voice to you this morning is that of a beloved son, is that of a beloved daughter. And because this is true, verse 11 can be your heritage. I want it tattooed on your forehead. Not literally, but I guess that's the series, right? Is that you would meditate on it. May the Lord give strength to you as his people. This is true because he is now your strength. You might not be strong. You come in here this morning, you get, you're like, I don't have anything. It's okay because he is your strength. May the Lord bless his people with peace. This is true because he is now your peace. And because he is your peace, he can be your peace in your marriage. May the Lord give strength to you as his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. No matter how you might be feeling this morning, the gospel gives you strength and peace for this present life. And perhaps more importantly, as the voice of the Lord shakes the earth with his voice, you have an eternal hope that can never be shaken. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we confess to you this morning that we find it really difficult to hear your voice. Even though, uh, as your people, we believe the Bible to be true and trustworthy, and we know that you speak through it. Lord, in our sin and in the messiness of our lives, we just have a really hard time hearing from you. And so I pray that you would make clear this morning the truths of your word to us, despite ourselves that your Holy Spirit would be so powerful, powerful enough to pierce through to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, to give us the things of God, to give us the things that call us to life, to give us life and life abundantly, that we might hear the voice of our good shepherd, that we might hear the voice that is calling us to lie down in green pastures, Help us to hear the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest. And so I pray for this church, this sweet church, that her people would know the rest that Jesus offers them this morning. It's in his name I pray. Amen.